Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says this. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, if you have been reading along in our Read Scripture plan for the course of the year, then on Wednesday you were like, yes. <laughs> the New Testament, the Jesus part, the Gospel of Matthew, so long to you, O ununderstandable, incomprehensible things from the Old Testament, my eyes will be open and everything will be clear. And then two days later... You read this. And if you're anything like me, your reaction was, what? Like the earlier parts, I get get the idea of loving your enemies. I, I can conceive in my mind what it would look like if I was to embody that, if I was to do those things. That's possible. Not necessarily something I want, but something I could see myself possibly doing. In fact, it's an art form, right, that's often lacking in our modern world, the ability to love our neighbors. That's not what this sermon's really about. Well, kind of. But I really want to talk about that last part, the part that you probably want to just forget. The final words of that section. Be perfect? Okay, Jesus. Sure. Quick question. Um, How? And another question. Is that really the standard that you are going to be judging me on and holding me accountable to achieving? Well, yes. And also, no. Yes, because that's a pretty clear command 
from Jesus. It doesn't like get much clearer than that. And no, because we all know that it is not humanly possible to achieve perfection on this side of eternity. At least, at least not the type of perfection, the concept of perfection that you and I carry around as English-speaking Americans. And so the question becomes, how do we reconcile what Jesus says, what Jesus tells us that we must do with our general experience of being human? Well, I think that we do it by taking a moment to reflect on what Jesus is really talking about and how, with God's help, we might actually be able to achieve it. And so this is the final sermon in our series, Good Grace, where we have been looking at how God's activity, God's grace, intersects with humanity in order to help us achieve the plans that he has for our lives and for our world. And so today we are going to look at how we're supposed to get to this end goal, the goal of being perfect, or rather being perfected in love. Because being perfected in love is a state of living out the original righteousness that humanity was created for, that we were given and that humanity lost through sin, but that humanity has been given access to once again through the love and sacrifice of Jesus. And I know that you all probably wish it was just as simple as Jesus dying on the cross and coming out of the grave for you and I to live out this command that Jesus gives us to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But the bad news of being a Christian is that it's not easy. It's just not that simple. We've got to put our feet on the ground and start walking and following Jesus, so to say. And so let's take a look here at Jesus' impossible command. It's important for us to understand the context here, so I'll just give you a quick recap. Uh, Jesus is in the middle of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And in this particular section of teaching, he has already said some pretty mind-blowing things to his Torah-observant Jewish audience. He said something like this. He said, you have heard it said that you shouldn't murder. Common sense, right? It's like 101. But I tell you that if you're even angry with someone, you have murdered them in your heart, and you're just as guilty. Thanks, Jesus. You've heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery. Well, I tell you that if you have even looked at another with lust, then you've committed adultery in your heart. Not us, right? So on and so forth, right? The point is this. 
Jesus is not trying to shame everyone in the entire world up to and including you and me here today. The point is that Jesus is connecting the heads, the hearts, and the hands of human beings to one another. What that means is is Jesus is saying this, your insides and your outsides should match because that is the point of the laws that I've been quoting to you. The law was not given to your ancestors and passed down for 1,500 years at this point simply to make you act better. They were given to you to make you be better. And there is a subtle difference, but an important one. And so when he gets to his grand crescendo and says, be perfect, he's not saying be unfailingly blameless 100% of the time. What he is saying is, don't be a walking contradiction. Don't be a hypocrite. Which, if you've been observing the general tone of our world, that's the chief complaint against you and me, and every other Christian, and every other church in this world. The word perfect is the Greek word teleos, which simply means to be complete or to be whole. And being perfect here simply means for the activity of our hands, the things we do, and the thoughts in our heads, and the inclinations, the drive within our hearts to be of one accord and for them to align in a way that shows love for God and love for our neighbors. Much later on, after Jesus died and the church was born, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a church in a a region called Galatia. And this church was all kinds of twisted up in personal and communal conflict. And in that letter, he addressed, you know, just what it was going to take for them to overcome the broken relationships that they had and to to forge a more gospel-centered and Christ-honoring community. And I'll let you in on a little secret. It's right in line with what I've been saying to you that Jesus said to his disciples throughout this whole sermon series. Right? Jesus' disciples came to him and in an exasperated way kind of said like, hey, who can be saved then? Who can, be, who can follow you? And Jesus' response to them was, well, for mortals it's impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. And Paul's going to pick up on that line of thinking, and this is what he says to the Galatian Christians. He says, live by the Spirit, I say, and and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. 
Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the things like these. And I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, though, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If, if we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, or envying one another. You see, Paul's point reinforces that all of this relies on the Spirit of God. Each and every one of us. For, for humans, it is impossible, right? For humans, we are naturally drawn to live a life that is guided by passion and selfish desires. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, which I didn't even know what that meant. I had to look it up, and it means wild, drunken behavior, a.k.a. the Vegas special, right? I've been there, I know. I've seen it. No, basically, all of this stuff, all of this junk that is just so easy, so enticing, stuff that gets us what we want, when we want it, stuff that helps us feel good in a very, very cheap way. And Paul says, Check it out. That's not what we are called to be after. That's no way to live. That's not what it's supposed to be like to truly be human. Instead, let the Spirit of God help you live in a new way. He says, live like this with love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and the hardest of them all, self-control. The final eight of these, the, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the generosity, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and the self-control, they are all parts of the very first, love. These are what love lived out looks like. You've probably all seen some kind of scene for a movie or, let's be honest, had this same conversation yourselves with someone else, regardless of which side of it you're on, right? Someone says, oh, but I love you, which is received with something like, well, you got a strange way of showing it. Or, then why don't you act like it? And that's because, because love isn't just something that you feel, right? Love is an action. 
something that is lived out through these activities and these attributes. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And here's the, the, the really kind of shocking, maybe bad news for you about all of this is these are not like individual attributes that we get to separate out from one another. It's not a spiritual discipline to wake up in the morning and say, God, today, today I'm going to be patient. When I ain't doing the generosity thing, market's down, I check my bank account, I just don't got it in me, okay? The scripture doesn't say fruits of the spirit in the plural. It says fruit, one fruit, love expressed by these attributes. And so love is a gift to us through God's grace. Love is something that is manifested in us by the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, believed that a person could achieve Christian perfection. And that someone achieved Christian perfection when that love that they gave to the world became pure and devoid of self-interest. See, Christian perfection occurs when we reach these moments where we give and live out a life of love without weighing the benefits or the liabilities for ourselves. When we say yes without first counting the cost. When we, through the manifestation of God's grace dwelling inside of us, truly become the embodiment of God's heart for God's world. It's in those moments, which, let's be honest, are often few and far between, when we are given a glimpse at who we were truly made to be. And it's in those moments that the people of this world get a glimpse at who God truly is and who they truly might become if they choose to follow after the source of that love that they have experienced through us. Have you ever had those moments where for one second or, or one minute, one conversation or, or one interaction, you simply just weren't the most important person in your world? Where the person in front of you had needs that far outweighed your own personal needs, biases, wants, desires, whatever. They're powerful, right? So powerful that it's almost like it wasn't you. Like it wasn't your words that you spoke or your deeds that you did. Maybe that's because it wasn't. Sure, you were there. Sure, you took part. But maybe it was you in cooperation with God. For mortals, it's impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. You know, once a week, I, uh, 
I go over to the St. Lucie County Jail. And this is the cool thing. I go in and then they let me out, right? In the same day. It's crazy. But uh, now I go, I go over to the jail and, and I meet with inmates who have uh, requested to talk to a pastor or, you know, a clergy member. And uh, the guys that I meet with are who would be considered um, violent offenders. Uh, they are they're awaiting trial. And everyone that I, I've met with so far is awaiting trial for crimes that would be considered especially heinous if we were in the law and order universe. Okay? The first day that I went in, I didn't know this was what was going to take place. When I sat down across from the table from... Uh, from this man and the man after him who came in and told me what they had done. Somehow, somehow I didn't see the crime that they told me about. Somehow I saw them. I saw men who were scared. Men who were remorseful. Men who were very much aware of the amount of judgment that this world was about to pour out on them. I saw men who in that reality yearned to hear one thing. God still loves you. And let me tell you something. That's not a natural thing to say to someone who tells you what these guys told me. It's not normal. Even less normal is the fact that I meant it then and I mean it now. And I believe it. More importantly, they believed me. I could see like color return to their face, like the light come back in their eyes, like hope began to be kindled. Not hope that the judge wasn't going to do something to them that they did not want, but hope that that wouldn't be their eternal fate. Now, I'm pretty far from perfected in love a lot of the time. I blame it on sleep deprivation You can disagree with me if you want. But the reality is that being perfect is something that I, when it happens in me is not achieved because I'm a good guy. It's something that is only achieved because I'm cooperating with the Spirit of God. And that's when it happens for you too. So if we are looking at how we are supposed to live out a life that is perfect, or better yet, complete and whole. I think that it's important for us to just look at the points of tension in our own lives. A friend and mentor of mine named Sarah says that the Christian life is one in which we are continually trying to integrate the thoughts in our heads with the passions in our hearts through the action of our hands. That we are trying to continually make and live 
a life where our head, our hearts, and our hands are of one accord. And so the, the question really is, where's the breakdown for you? For Jesus' audience, it was between their hearts and their hands. They were so stuck on the letter of the Jewish law that, that doing what it said or, or not doing what it said not to do seemed to be more important than what happened in their hearts and coincidentally in their heads. And for us, the same can be true, I suppose. We can often show up and do things that we do out of obligation rather than out of love because we know it's the right thing to do regardless of how we feel about it. And sometimes the breakdown is between our heart and our hands. We, we want to do what's right. We feel it in our heart. We, we feel the call, but we just can't seem to take action. But sometimes it's between our heads and our hearts. We, we know what's right, but we don't feel it deep down. There's a, there's a disconnect between our head and our hearts. Or sometimes it, we feel it in our hearts, but our heads just get in the way. Something is blocking us from really internalizing what we know into real, actionable change. You know, I think the starting place here is to be aware of this. And to take notice of where we just aren't living in wholeness. Where's the breakdown? Where can the Holy Spirit be at work in me? And then the next step is to actually turn that mess over to God and say, God, I need you to change my heart or motivate my hands. Help me to be who I say I am. Help me to live out my identity as your child. Because the goal of this Christian life is about reclaiming and living up to what God created us and still calls each and every one of us to be. His righteous instruments who bring about his will in the world. And we only, we only get to that point and stay at that point by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. It is with this power that the impossible becomes our reality. Humans, people as broken, stubborn, and misguided as you and I can be, somehow become the beacons of God's perfect love in this world. We transform lives because we have been transformed ourselves. And in those sweet moments where our will perfectly submits to the will of God and we are able to perfectly love our neighbors, it's in those moments who we really are in Christ becomes evident to us. And more importantly, it becomes evident to the world. The old song goes, they will know we are Christians by our love. And when they know that that kind of love 
that we've been talking about, that that kind of love is the love that defines us as Christians, they will be open to receive the greatest gift of all, a relationship with Jesus Christ. They will believe that the power that they experience of God in us Well, that power could be the power of God in them as well. And that, my friends, well, that's the good news of God's good grace. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace in us. We thank you for just the ways that you continue to manifest your love for this world through this church and through each of us individually. God, we just pray that you would continue to pour out a knowledge that surpasses our understanding, a love that surpasses our human ability to love, a love that doesn't just look like words that we say, but a, word, a love that, that is lived out, a love that is complete, a love that is perfect, a love that acts like it's love. So God, we invite you to do a work in us to free up the log jam between our head, our hearts, and our hands. Help us to be whole. Help us to truly be perfect just as you say that we are. We love you, and it's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.